This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We are now here at this lesser, diminished version of CMMC 2.0. In this episode of Compliance into the Weeds, Tom and Matt take a deep dive into the recent announcement of CMMC 2.0, which cuts back on the Defense Department's attempts to have a robust cybersecurity program for its direct contractors and contractors down the chain. We explore what happened, what it means, and where it will all go from here on Compliance Into the Weeds. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Today, we take up the Pentagon changing its program of CMMC um, for cybersecurity. Matt wrote about this last week in a blog post entitled Pentagon Sounds Retreat on CMMC Compliance. Matt, could you start off telling us what the original CMMC compliance program was and what evolved uh, into CMMC 2.0? Sure, Tom. So CMMC stands for Cybersecurity Model, Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification, which is a mouthful, but it is essentially uh, a cybersecurity compliance requirement for defense contractors bidding on government contracts. Uh, where you would have originally, the plan was that you were going to have to identify where you fell on a one to five level scale. And one being you're bidding on a very low cybersecurity contract, like delivering food to army bases. Five being the highest, you are developing uh, the new missile guidance system for the Air Force or the Navy or something like that. But you had to identify what level of CMMC compliance you were supposed to achieve. Uh, you were then supposed to implement a series of internal controls according to a cybersecurity framework published by NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. It was NIST 800-171. Uh, but you know, the higher up your level of compliance had to be, the more controls you had to implement. And then you would have to get an independent third-party assessment from a certified cybersecurity assessor. Uh, and so there's this whole big infrastructure that the Defense Department was trying to stand up for better cybersecurity. They unveiled this plan to the world in 2020. They got serious about it at the beginning of 2021. Uh, supposedly, a very small number of large prime defense contractors were going to have to go through CMMC compliance starting this year. And the idea, the goal, was that five years from now, 2026, all businesses in the defense industrial base, roughly 300,000 firms, were going to have to be CMMC compliant 
with whatever level that you had to achieve. This would extend also down through your supply chain. We were going to really finally tackle cybersecurity in the supply chain once and for all. And Tom, now that it is here and starting to get rolling, the Pentagon retreated. So we no longer will have five CMMC levels. We will have only three. Most businesses will not need to get a third-party risk assessment or assessment of their cybersecurity. You get to do a self-assessment. Um, the th level three people working on the most sensitive projects, they'll need to do a government-led uh, assessment of cybersecurity. And by the way, all the plans to start a pilot project for CMMC certifications, uh, that's all been suspended pending further rulemaking. So, Tom, what essentially has happened is businesses said, this is going to be too hard. We don't know how to do it. It's going to be too expensive. And the Pentagon retreated. Uh, we have a much simpler, more choose-your-own-adventure sort of approach to compliance in the defense contract, uh, in the defense contracting world. And uh, you have to wonder about the wisdom of that, because the last time I checked, cybersecurity was a mess in the Defense Department, and we have a whole lot of stuff that the Chinese and Russians and everybody else would love to see, and they're trying to get to it by coming in through the defense contractors. But we are now here at this lesser, diminished version of CMMC 2.0. So that being said, Matt, why do you think, or do you think the planning for CMMC, uh, the original program, was less than ideal? Uh, well, there are a couple of ways that this was less than ideal. Uh, number one, we never had enough third-party independent assessors for the need that was going to be coming down the road rapidly. Um, there was going to be, there is, a special body that certifies and accredits independent CMMC assessors, and that's getting up and running, but there's really not a lot of them. Um, so if you are trying to get in on a large defense contract, or you would now normally be like a level four or five person or defense contractor, or you're trying to be a supplier to those people, you know, you need to think about this. And now you don't. Um, also, it is fair to say that implementing NIST controls for cybersecurity, that can be a somewhat onerous process, especially for smaller businesses that might not have the uh, tools and expertise to be able to implement cybersecurity controls. I'm sure if you're Boeing or Raytheon or Lockheed Martin, you know how to do this. You have the dedicated technology to implement cybersecurity controls and to map out to a framework. And there's all sorts of technical stuff you have to do and testing and documentation. The big guys know how to do it. The medium people will struggle with it. The small people can't do it. Um, to a certain extent, I feel their pain. To another extent, I say, who cares? Because the cybersecurity thieves do not care that it's hard for you to improve your cybersecurity. Um, the risk itself is pressing and enormous uh, from all sorts of directions. And just because it is hard for us to achieve this higher state of readiness and compliance and better cybersecurity, just because it's hard for us to do that, doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. The risk is imminent and enormous, period. So here we are. We'll be right back with more Compliance Into the Weeds after this message. So lots of companies are in really precarious positions now, Matt, and uh, because they're self-certifying compliance, but they still have disclosure duties 
if they're if they're breached, does that intersect this change, or is it really separate and apart? That is a separate headache that we could talk about a different day, and I do write about that fairly often, although it is true that if you are in particular a publicly traded company and you have a cybersecurity breach, you have certain expectations from the SEC about disclosing some details of that breach to the public. Uh, Or if you are a critical infrastructure company, you may have disclosure duties to the federal government directly uh, to the CISA, which is CISA, Critical Infrastructure Security Administration, I think it's called. Uh, CISA is a fairly new agency that is in charge of developing standards and guidance for critical infrastructure, where if your defense contractor falls victim to a ransomware attack, or you're a pipeline operator and your system shuts down, which is not a hypothetical. We all know that happened to Colonial Pipeline seven months ago. Uh, If you fall victim in that way, in certain circumstances, you might have to report the breach to CISA. Um, The Biden administration is leaning hard on companies to report ransomware attacks uh, for law enforcement purposes. So even if you're not a publicly traded company, Um, You still might have cybersecurity disclosure duties to other parts of the federal government, and uh, this is not going away. Now, that's also true that that was never going to go away, no matter if we had CMMC 1.0 or 2.0 or 10.0. You're always going to have those disclosure duties. CMMC was more to strengthen your cybersecurity so you can either withstand attacks or you can avoid falling victim to attacks. So, Matt, do you see any danger in these reduced uh, requirements under CMMC 2.0 as being a defense or justification if a company is breached, or will they still face kind of full liability for not having uh, a higher standard of cybersecurity? I I think that there is a certain amount of risk here. This is, you know, some businesses might be rejoicing that the big, mean, nasty CMMC 1.0 is deposed and we have this easier 2.0 standard. I think that's a mixed blessing at best. Um, First of all, if you're conducting your own self-assessment of cybersecurity, you have to assess your own cybersecurity, and that can be a dicey thing. Uh, you might not know what you're doing. You might not know what you're doing and decide to pay an outsider anyway. So in that case, why did we get rid of the independent assessment requirement? Um, you might know what you're doing and then decide your posture is weak and somebody might decide to fib about the results, in which case you know you have serious contractual uh, risks there, I think, with getting debarred or getting complaints from other business partners or other regulators. Um, There's all sorts of ways that if you are in charge of assessing your own cybersecurity, well, you're going to have to either get it right or you're going to have to accept the risks of getting it wrong. Um, I've already seen some legal analyses that show you might have, for example, False Claims Act liability if, for example, you are assessing and attesting to the effectiveness of your cybersecurity on a government contract. Turns out you're off by a country miles, your cybersecurity stunk, and you fall victim and the contract is now jeopardized somehow. You know, the false claims liability argument would be that, well, you were selling yourself as a great cybersecure business and you weren't. You were overcharging the feds for your business. So therefore, that's a false claims act lawsuit. 
Is that going to be a valid thing? Is it going to go very far in the courts? I don't know, but it's not necessarily a headache you want to have. Um, it costs money to be able to defend yourself in court. It's just There's going to be messes like that. There's going to be follow-on risks of taking this responsibility on yourself and then potentially getting it wrong for any number of reasons. And that's I think, is going to be a big deal. Well, there's another component to the federal government who oversees cybersecurity, and that's Congress. And perhaps we could leave the dysfunction out of Congress just for a moment, but is it possible that uh, Congress uh, would step in and mandate uh, stronger cybersecurity, or is that a forlorn hope at this point? Uh, That is pretty forlorn because, Tom, I challenge you where you just said, let's leave the dysfunction of Congress out for a moment. You can't. You can't. We have to talk about the dysfunction of Congress because that's part and parcel of why we can't get this figured out and get this done. Um, What's interesting to me is that just last week, as the Pentagon was sounding the retreat on CMMC to this lower standard, at the same time, the House Transportation Committee held a hearing on the need for cybersecurity regulation. And uh, you'll be shocked to hear, listeners, that Republicans on the House Transportation Committee were generally opposed to imposing regulation. Uh, And they were saying that the Department of Homeland Security and various other agencies were trying to bigfoot corporations' own efforts to address cybersecurity. What struck me most was that the Republican complaint was that we the regulations were going to be onerous and prescriptive, and they would be distracting companies from, direct quote from several representatives who were saying this, but um, re- distracting companies from responding to cybersecurity attacks. If you think about that, what they're really saying is that responding to attacks is the more pressing objective. And I disagree with that. Uh, what's the more pressing objective is to implement preventive controls to reduce the uh, risk of attack, to reduce the damage of the attacks so that you can strengthen your response when you do need to respond. But they basically were saying that, you know, let's just leave the preventive measures off to the side because we're going to be so busy responding to attacks. Uh, That's nuts. And anybody in internal audit or control would agree with me if you just think of it this way. Imagine a system of internal control where you don't have any preventive controls. It's all detective and responsive controls later on, but no preventive controls whatsoever. That's really what the Republicans at this hearing were saying, is that we should be more busy responding to attacks. I get that there's a flood of attacks out there, and they're going to need a response, but Folks, we all know that the best strategy here would be to have a strong cybersecurity system with strong prevention so you don't fall victim to attacks as often or as severely. And that this is going to become a political thing. Certainly, industry, I think, is largely going to be on the side of regulation bad, freedom good. I kind of sort of see the, where you want to go with that, but cybersecurity is not one of those areas where that sort of response or that strategy fits. So if we could uh, maybe take a page from healthcare professionals, it's a lot easier to prevent disease than to treat it after you get it. I I would say so, yeah. Um, (laughs) I would say so. Well, Matt, uh, what about the uh, – if we looked at perhaps ABC or or export control or AML compliance uh, for some examples where companies have gone beyond the minimum standards and have trumpeted 
uh, with transparency, uh, having a gold standard best practices compliance program. And they use they have used that as a business differentiator. Uh, could you see uh, companies uh, going back to the original CMMC or something like it so that they can claim or at least, uh, yeah. I guess claim's the right word, that they have stronger controls and you should hire us for that reason? Well, I, I think, you know, ultimately there's a lot to be said for bringing your cybersecurity program up to NIST cybersecurity standards. And not every business is going to have to go, you know, full force f- with the highest possible NIST standard, which at the moment I think is 80171. Um but there are plenty of other NIST standards you can use and NIST even has some very loose principles-based frameworks as well. If so, if you're just a smaller business and you want to tiptoe into a more structured approach. Um, you know, Tom, what what really strikes me is by coincidence before this happened just the other week i finished reading a book about cybersecurity called this is how they tell me the world ends by nicole perlroth who i would recommend it to everybody it is a history of the cyber weapons arms race that has unfolded for the last 25 years or so uh it is hair raising and quite good quite detailed but you know like the number of exploits and attacks out there for software every single major business and government agency in the world uses like it's enormous and they're stockpiling them and some of them are government stockpiling them some of them are criminals some of them are just dudes who have too much time on their hands and they're hacking away from their bedroom um but all of it is predicated on companies being too slow or too flat-footed in implementing the proper defensive measures to really govern their software and make sure that their software is as bulletproof as possible. Um, and when you read that book and see the the true risks that are out there, then you see these retreats from the regulatory world, you see these divisions in the political world, and you really have to shake your head about are we yeah, you know, what are we doing here, folks? We are not taking anywhere near as serious the steps as we need for good cybersecurity. NIST is going to be a great place to go. I'll always recommend it. If you go above and beyond, I think you're going to make yourself a better business partner for your customers. So I think it's wise. I know it's not easy. I know it's not cheap. But as I said before, the risk doesn't care that it's hard and expensive. The risk is going to come for us no matter what. Well, that seems like a great way uh, to end this podcast, Matt. Uh, I think we'll probably hear more about this, and I think we'll probably be podcasting on it in the future. So uh, let's keep an eye out. All right, Tom. Thank you. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. I'm going to link to Matt's blog post in our show notes, so check that out for additional information. I'd also like to tell you about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network, Design Thinking in Compliance, where with my co-host Karsten Tams, we take a look at the social engineering tool of design thinking and how it can create greater efficiency and effectiveness in your compliance program. So check out Design Thinking in Compliance. It posts every other Wednesday. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.